Glad to be here. Just not sure you guys know what you've gotten into. Now, I am excited. The Lord is at work in our church. You better believe that. And uh, good things are going on, so be committed. Uh, I do want to ask you to pray for me. Pray for the session, obviously. Uh, pray for me. It's a, it's a grave responsibility and one I'm well aware of. So uh, the flesh profits nothing, could do nothing here without the Spirit. And honestly, if the Holy Spirit is not present with us on Sunday morning, there's no point in being here. We just need to stay home. But we believe the Lord is present here, and we want to uh, continue to pray with regard to that. So, uh, so please pray for me, pray for the session, pray for the whole church. It's, uh, it's good times. The, Lord's, the Lord is good. Um, regarding visits, my goal, and this is actually my goal, the session hasn't asked me to do this, if possible, to try to visit every single one of you, families, couples, uh, this year. I'm not sure this ever happened in this church, has it? But anyway, that's my goal. So, uh, Candy is updating, I was told, updating the address list in, in a old school, so Laura and I can understand this, is old school printed copy, piece of paper, right? Some of us need that, that breeze thing, we don't know how that thing works. So, uh, the point is, are you doing that? If, if your contact info has changed in the last several months, let Candy know, or let someone know, don't let me know, let someone know that your info needs to be updated. Uh, unless you don't want me to visit you, then maybe give her a wrong phone number, something like that. You know, address for, well, if you live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, I might want to visit you about this time of year. Anyway, let's get going. We are... In the back in First uh, Thessalonians, I'm not going to stay here. Uh, one of my tasks is to help prepare the church for the next pastor. Okay, so that's what that's what we're doing. Okay, we're moving forward. We're not uh, spinning our wheels. We're not. What's what's the thing when you're when you're swimming in motion, um, treading water? We're not doing that. We're moving forward. And one of my jobs is to prepare the church for uh, the next pastor. Um, so we're going to go into some other places in the Bible as well, but I do want to look at this chapter uh, today. Let's start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. We left off, I think, at, last, at verse 10 last time. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and make the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brother, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification." that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter 
because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us uh, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives us, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Our Father, we thank you for your word your revelation of yourself, that we might know you, that we might know your glory, that we might know Jesus Christ, that we might uh, know how to walk and live. For your word teaches us what we are to believe concerning our God and redemption and what things you require of us, O God, how you'd have us to live, how you'd have us to please you, how you'd have us to serve you. And with joy, O God, we are your servants, not begrudgingly Um, It is our delight to be your children. It is our passion to serve you and to love you with all of our heart and strength and to love one another as ourselves. Oh, Lord God, be powerful among us today, these weeks and months ahead indeed. Be with the elders and the deacons and all, every member of this church, adult, child, Oh, Lord God, would you cause your name to be magnified? Would you cause the Lord Jesus to be exalted? And would he be uh, proclaimed faithfully? And may we be united and joyfully uh, continue on serving you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a little jingle I learned from the late Dr. John Gerstner years ago when I was up in western Pennsylvania and if you ever are in a Bible study with someone like Dr. John Gerstner, it's pretty, you know who he is? It's pretty special. But he would say this, free from the law, O blessed condition, I can sin all I please and still have remission. Well, Dr. Gerstner did not believe that. But is it the gospel? Is it really the gospel? Since we're forgiven... It doesn't matter how we live. Many years ago, when I was in seminary, I worked on a crew. Barbara will remember this. And we, uh, college students have a way of nicking up dorm rooms a little bit. So I was on a crew working summers, trying to pay my seminary tuition, uh, helping fix up dorm rooms over the summertime. And one of my fellow workers was a college student, a professing Christian, And he believed that he could engage in sin carelessly and recklessly, even delighting in it. It didn't matter because he was under grace, so he thought. Now, I have heard very few Christians be quite that bold, actually, in articulating such a belief. But yet many live as though it were true. Since I'm a forgiven Christian... You know, whatever. Sin doesn't matter all that much. Or Paul put it this way. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Shockingly, some answer yes. It's a radical misunderstanding of the gospel. 
Theologically, it's called antinomianism, which I like etymology, if you're a word person or not, but the etymology, kids go look that word up, the etymology of antinomianism is anti-nomos, it's against the law, okay, so it disregards the law, it, be, it, it, it views the law or holiness or obedience having li- little to no revel, uh, revel, relevance, I told you you need to pray for me. The second word I said. It has little relevance to the Christian's life because we are under grace and not under law. But they fail to understand what Paul means by those phrases you find in Romans 6. Now, to their credit, antinomians understand, at least I think they do, that... uh, we are free from the law's condemnation. Uh, Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But they fail to understand that believers are still to live in holiness, imitating God. Peter wrote, as he who called you is holy, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So some of these fail to understand that the believer is to turn away from sin because we have been saved, what? From sin. We have been saved from sin's guilt. Amen. Praise God. But also, the Bible teaches, we have been saved from sin's power or sin's grip. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are no longer in bondage. Sin is no longer our master. Amen. And the mature Christian or the biblically informed Christian understands that we are saved unto holiness as new creatures in Christ. Or to put it theologically, sanctification follows justification. Okay? Paul said here, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And those words, sanctification, holiness, along with the words saint, the word saint, they all have the same root. So we are holy ones in Christ. We are holy ones. So let's consider, first of all, the plan for Christian living, which is to increase and abound. Now remember back in chapter 3, Paul wrote how concerned he was about the Thessalonians. He had to hightail it out of that city because of the threat against their merry band of apostles and the gospel. There was great persecution that broke out in Thessalonica, and Paul and his crew went off to be safe. And he was very concerned because he's leaving this young church alone, really. So he sent Timothy back to find out how the church was faring after some time. And when Timothy brought great, positive, encouraging news that the church was actually faring quite well, uh, Timothy or Paul was actually very, uh, very excited, and he and he urged them. Okay, press on to greater maturity. Again, look at chapter three at the end. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and make the Lord and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, to increase and abound in love that you might be blameless in 
holiness. Now that's interesting, is it not? To abound in love is then to be blameless in holiness. See, the glory of the gospel is that you and I, in Christ, have been delivered from all that opposes God, or as Paul put it elsewhere, from this present evil age. We have been justified. We have been born again. We have been delivered, or we have been justified. We have been declared righteous so that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But now, that's past in a sense, now presently we are being renewed according to the image of of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our sanctification, okay? So for this reason, Paul, as he's wrapping up this letter, says, finally then, we urge you uh, how you ought to live and please God. Do it more and more and more. He had written of the ministry of of the Word he had among them, the power of the Gospel, how they turned to God from idols. They turned away from from Greek idolatry, embraced the true religion of the triune God. They had become imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. And Paul had expressed his joy that even through tribulation, even through affliction, even through persecution, they were doing well. They were pressing on. They were maintaining that uh, precious faith which they'd heard about from Paul And he had written of their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And he commended the church. But he didn't say, okay, now you got it all together, just stay put, you're all good. No! More and more and more and more. Increase, go on, press forward. Okay? Which is what we're doing, what we want to do. Okay? They cannot now rest. It's not time to scale back. It's not time to rest on our laurels. It's time to press on. It's time to move on to even greater heights. Years later, Paul would write autobiographically, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus And then he added this, okay, he wrote that autobiographically, okay, that's what he was doing, that's what his intent was, but then he says, let those who are mature think this way, let them be like me, let them imitate me in this way, and if anything you you think otherwise God will reveal to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So it doesn't matter who you are as a Christian, how long you've served the Lord, how long you've walked with Him, how mature you are, how, what you've done in the past. Are you more mature than the Apostle Paul was? Have you accomplished more than the Apostle Paul did? Of course not. Yet, as long as he had breath in him, his goal was to press on toward the goal of the upward prize in Christ Jesus. Because God's plan for every one of His children is that we should increase and abound in love, that we should be established, our hearts, in holiness before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, okay, let's go back to the beginning. I like the fundamentals. I like the basics. I like the beginnings. And you'll have me going back to Genesis all the time. So we're going back to Genesis, back to the beginning, uh, because there's no way to rightly understand redemption until we understand creation. Does that sound strange? It shouldn't. 
okay? Because redemption is about the kingdom of God. What did John the Baptist say right before Jesus was to come, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus began preaching the same message. Behold, the kingdom of God is coming. I am here. It's coming in my presence. Okay? But when did God's kingdom begin? At creation. With Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden. See, they were created to be God's people on earth. And the garden in which they lived was God's kingdom on earth. God has a heavenly kingdom Okay, he has his angels, he has his spiritual beings. Okay, he rules in heaven, but when God created all things in the space of six days, he was creating his kingdom on earth as well. Okay, and his earthly kingdom is to reflect his heavenly kingdom. What did we just read in our in this Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? As where? Right. May God's kingdom on earth reflect his kingdom in heaven, okay? So God's people, created in God's image, living in God's place, under God's rule, were giving a mission, okay? And though it wasn't mission impossible, that mission was, you know it well, you could tell me, right? to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, right? And then have dominion and subdue all of creation and have uh, dominion over all creation. So the goal of this was a worldwide kingdom. The earth was to be full of image bearers and the glory of God was to fill the earth as men and women and children, boys and girls, did God's will on earth, okay? They were God's stewards to carry out their father's mission. Now, Jesus described this stewardship many years later, of course, in uh, one of his parables, the parable of the talents, which I'm sure you know, which describes a man going away and entrusting his property to his stewards, his caretakers. And they were what? They were to be faithful and wise. They were to do, they were to carry out, they were to manage the, the master's estate as he himself would manage it were he to be there, okay? They were his stewards. They were to serve the master in his absence. And of course, they failed. Praise God, he didn't abandon his plan for mankind and for creation. And he, in fact, in the famous passage in Genesis 3.15, promised an, another son, okay? Adam, the son of God, failed. So God promised his own son, Okay, who would in fact destroy the evil one and reconcile God's people to himself? In other words, <laughs> this is so cool because Jesus is fulfilling the mandate given to Adam and Eve. Okay, what is the New Testament version of the mandate to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? Okay, it's at the very end of Matthew 28 when Jesus said, Make disciples of the nations. Okay, fill this earth with my people who will glorify me in their lives and in their worship. And so redemption serves God's intent at creation. This is why Jesus not just provides 
forgiveness or justification or the fact that there is now no condemnation. That's critically important, and we are overjoyed at that. But salvation goes beyond that. It doesn't end at justification. It ends, of course, at glorification, okay? The so-called ordo salutis, the order of salvation, okay? By God's Spirit, He renews us in His image. Romans 8, 29. Oh, we know verse 28. We often stop there, but verse 28 is in a context. And verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so what God is doing in the world today through the Gospel is filling the earth with His holy sons and daughters and restoring the original goodness of creation. I get to see that a little bit. If you travel to foreign countries and you hear about the Gospel pressing forward into areas it's never been before. I heard of a place in India where there's an entire village or community, and you know how many believers in that community? One. Can you imagine being the only believer in Dallas, Georgia? Or Villa Rica, Georgia? Or wherever you live? Amazing, okay? What God is doing is filling the earth with His holy sons and daughters and restoring the original goodness of creation. That's why Paul wrote, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The church is the new humanity. It's the people of God raised to new life in Christ and being prepared to live someday on a completely renewed earth, the new earth and the new heavens, right? So therefore, the aim of Christian living is to please God. Remember, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, okay? What is that abundance? Well, that abundance is the life of Jesus in us. Therefore, that abundance is the abundance of a holy life because God who called us also said, you shall be holy for I am holy. Remember, we are to be imitators of God. We are image bearers of God. We are to be like God. And so anyone who has a reckless disregard for holiness radically misunderstands the gospel and what Christ is doing in the world. Is there anyone who seeks to be full of the world instead of full of Christ? Is there anyone who seeks to mix Christ and the world, righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, You know, the Bible says, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Therefore, go out from their midst to be separate from them and touch no unclean. Then I will welcome you. Let me address some of the teenagers, some of the younger people in the congregation today, because the world would have you believe that sin is pleasure. Pursue sin. That's where happiness is. That's where fun is. And that worldly success and riches are abundance. And that self-seeking pleasure and concern is happiness. Some of us who are about my age, um, we, uh, we grew up with a uh, song, a big, might have been number one, I don't know, top ten hit probably by a certain Billy Joel. 
And I grew up Roman Catholic, so I remembered this song. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the... I knew you knew that song. Sure, have a little bit of Jesus. That's okay, but have a lot of the world. Have fun, right? You want to go to heaven, but have fun in this life. They're lying to you. As the serpent lied to Eve. Did God really say? Yes, God really said. Okay? Don't just seek a little holiness. Don't seek a little sprinkle of, of Jesus there, or a little touch of obedience over here. Seek complete conformity to the holy character of Jesus with all the beauty of his righteousness. Paul said, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Indulge yourself in those things because they represent and manifest the beauty and the loveliness of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was, of course, the perfect man. But here's the very place we sometimes get into trouble and start going off the tracks. Because we are all, I think, recovering Pharisees. You may have heard me say that before. Like a recovering alcoholic is always an alcoholic and has to be disciplined to stay away from that bottle, right? Well, we are recovering Pharisees. Man, we always want to go back to that legalistic self-righteousness because I want to puff myself up and say, I'm better than you guys, right? I'm doing it well. And we just do it without thinking. It's just our natural bent, like a politician lying. It's just their nature, right? You know, 40 years ago, the Lord finally broke me of my stiff-necked rebellion as an unbeliever, and I finally despaired of my sin and sought the Lord Jesus for salvation. And I still remember sitting in my aunt and uncle's living room after praying the prayer. You know, my first words were, my first question to them was, all right, what do I do now? I jumped straight from grace to works, Right? Well, how about you? You know, when you hear Paul talk about how you ought to live and to please God, what do you begin thinking about? Ah, let's see, what do I got to do? What duties do I got to do? Let's see, I got to have my quiet time. I got to tell my kids I love them. Oh, I better do something nice for my spouse once in a while. Uh, you know, I got to get to church occasionally, at least Christmas and Easter and so forth. Right? We start checking off our list, you know? Yeah, I've only had two cups of coffee this morning. Well, until I got to church and I saw it out there, I'd have a three cups. Right? That's what you start thinking about. And if you can't check off many items, if your list is sort of blank, ugh, and the guilt comes on to crush us, right? But there is a sense in which asking the question, so what do I do now? Well, it's actually a very good question. If you mean by it, now how do I serve this incredible God that saved me from all my sins? In Christ there is now no condemnation. I know I'm safe for eternity with the Lord. I can't wait to get there. How do I, how do I dedicate my life and serve this gracious, glorious God for the rest of my days? See, to please God is not to suggest that his pleasure in you 
is determined by your performance, like getting a grade on a school paper or a test. And if that paper comes back to you and it's got a nice A on it, you think, ha, 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 uh, see, my performance was great. I'm satisfied. But if it comes back, like some of my wife's students' papers do, <laughs> with a big old F or a D on there, oh, wow, I'm in trouble. Not doing so good. But what is a life that's pleasing to God? It's a life of faith right? It's a life of believing and seeking and trusting and pursuing. In John 6, some asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, now if if someone asks you that question, you're going to get out your list, right? Start checking off your list. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You can only find Jesus by faith because it's, he's not found by works. The flesh profits nothing. Our place with God is never by works, but only by Christ, only by grace through faith. And so maybe someone's thinking, wow, that is really great because now it really means it doesn't matter what I do as long as I believe in Jesus, as long as I'm living by faith, I can do whatever I want. You know what? That's exactly right. As long as you're living by faith. You get it? Because when you live by faith, you are turning away from sin. You are turning away from idolatry. You are pursuing the Lord. You are seeking Him. Okay? I was glad we read from Romans 6 earlier today. I didn't suggest that to anyone. But that'd be a good homework for you uh, this afternoon or tomorrow. Read Romans 6 and think about it and meditate on it. Because Paul there teaches that we have been set free from sin, from its guilt and its power, and have become a slave of Christ in righteousness. But how have we been set free? By grace, through faith. Not by human works, but by obeying the doctrine of Jesus and of Paul, the doctrine of sola fide, right? Faith alone. And the fruit of faith leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, we are told. Notice verses 4 and 5 in your text. Each of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. They don't know God because they've not sought Him by faith. Some may perhaps, perhaps may pursue Him by works, but they don't, haven't pursued Him by faith, and thus they are still self-seeking slaves of sin. But when someone comes to God through faith in Christ, the power of sin is broken because in regeneration we are given a new heart, a new core in our being. And so Paul could write, sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. So faith, far from being a license to sin, is the wonderful pursuit of holiness. And that's why Paul wrote, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what God's will is. Now, there's not many times in Scripture where the Bible says plainly, this is God's will. So when it says it, pay attention, okay? The design for Christian living is sanctification. John Calvin said, 
when he says that this is the will of God, he means that we have been called with the, called by God with this design. You have been called by God with the design for sanctification or holiness. I think I already mentioned that the, the root of the word sanctification is the same as the, the root for the word saint, okay? Paul said we are called to be saints or called saints. We are called holy ones. We are set apart by the Spirit. We've been set apart for God's glory and to serve Him in the world, right? That is God's purpose in calling you. Verse 7, not from purity, but in holiness. Because once you were slaves of sin, but now you've been set apart to live as befits the children of God in Christ. Which makes me scratch my head and look around and say, whatever, not at this church, but just generally at the, at the Christians today and say, whatever happened to holiness? Where did it go in our modern days? During a Bible study I once attended, probably going to step on some feet here, but hopefully not. Uh, during a Bible study I once attended, a man told a group about a, a Christian man he had met, and he learned about this other Christian man that he was living with his girlfriend. And he asked him, I guess kind of boldly, well, if you're living with your girlfriend, can I assume you're sleeping with your girlfriend? Oh, sure. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is the word porneia, fornication. It's sin, okay? It's unholiness. It's contrary to the will of God, and it's contrary to who saints are as holy ones. Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, that old sinful nature, with its passions and desires. So you are no longer to be ruled by lustful passion as those who don't know God. We must abstain from every form of immorality in a deliberate choice to serve God, like Joseph, for example. And he was offered, right, a wonderful evening. And he said, absolutely not. How can I sin against God by committing this great wickedness? See, immorality is a sin against God, but you know it's also a sin against your brother or sister. How is that? Because the Bible teaches that the woman's body belongs to her husband, even if that's a future husband. And the man's body belongs to his wife, even if that's a future wife, okay? The Christian's purity is a gift that she gives to her spouse on their wedding night. And promiscuity before marriage robs that person of that precious gift. And so it defrauds that person. You're taking something that's not yours to take. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to that spouse. You know, there's a lot of talk in our culture these days about a woman's right. I was asked, woman's right for what, right? A woman's right to do with her body whatever she pleases, okay? Hey, it's my body. Can I do what I want with, with, what, I, with what I have? The answer is no. Not if you're a believer. Not if you're committing to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body. Kids, youth, teens, young adults, are you in Christ? Single people, God has not called you to impurity, but in holiness. Your purity is a very special gift, a, pr- a very priceless gift, really, that you will give to your spouse on your wedding night. It's for no one else. No one. Don't live like a prostitute. Don't live like the world. Don't just throw it out there to anyone, okay? God has called you to holiness if you are his son and daughters. And so to be enslaved by these worldly passions, to live like they do, we're not better than them, but we have been saved, okay, for a holy purpose. Don't let them be your model. Let Jesus be your model. Don't imitate the world. Imitate Jesus. In Hebrews, the author says, strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see, will see the Lord, because sanctification follows justification. Remember, again, redemption serves God's intent at creation. In the gospel, Jesus redeemed a holy people for God as he did at the beginning. We are set apart, okay? And the Bible says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You know, salvation is Jesus rescuing us from sin that we might be set apart as God's holy people, the church, the assembly of the Lord. Peter said, imitating Old Testament language given toward Israel, but you, to the church, to the Gentile church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are the new Israel. You are the children of God. You are the people of the new covenant. And God has not called you to impurity, but he has called you to be his holy people. You once lived after those sinful passions. I did, okay? But now you belong to the Lord. So present your members as instruments of righteousness leading to sanctification. Understand that holiness is our true humanity. That's true humanism, right? Because we were created in God's image, and in redemption we are being renewed in that image. So I want to say, be a real man. Be a real woman, okay? Be a child of God. Pursue a life of abundance, which is to pursue holiness. As individuals, as family, as a church, as Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, let us individually, as couples, families, and as a community, let us pursue holiness. Let us pursue God with everything we have because he said, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be like a God, to seek a God. We are called to imitate him and we have this promise. Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Amen. O oh Lord God, forgive us of our sins. We are far, I am.
and perhaps others are well, others are as well, far too reckless and careless in sin. Oh Lord, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave we God, the God we love, prone to, to be careless, prone to be sinful. Forgive us. Thank you for Jesus. Sanctify us, O Holy Spirit. May your word in us sanctify us. Make us more like Jesus. His beauty is what we desire. We want to seek him with all of our heart and strength. May this body, this church, glorify you and seek you with every ounce of his strength. And we pray it in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus. Amen.